Hash House and Circle Up. Welcome to On On, the Hash House Harrier podcast for interviews, history, and stories. I'm your host, Ra. Today on the podcast, we're back in the UK with a longtime hasher with multiple clubs. Welcome today on the podcast, Trigamist. Welcome. And to you, Ron. Nice to talk to you. Tell everybody your background. When and where and how did you start hashing? I used to be a soccer referee for many years. And um, when they had the first London Marathon, I thought, oh, that looks like a good idea. And applied to the second one, didn't get in. The third one I did. Having got around painfully, I thought, I'm not going to be a one-run uh, wonder. I decided to keep going at it. So I went on a training weekend to the Algarve in Portugal. After a week's training, we did a half marathon there. I finished about eighth from last uh, <laughs> because I was more interested in partying and drinking than actually serious running. And all around me were members of the local hash. <laughs> and my roommate uh, out there uh, was uh, telling me, so doing all this competitive running, you'd be much better off with the hash. They like drinking as much as running. And just, you sound perfect for it. After the half marathon, we got talking. They had a, a run a couple of nights uh, later. I went to, and about six others from the, the training camp also went to it. We arrived late. We took our own beer, but we went and started uh, doing the trail backwards and only went about half a mile before we caught up with them. Like many of the European and uh, international hashes, after the run, uh, they went back to, uh, to someone's house and ha have a meal. We were up on the hills, Algarve is uh, facing onto the Atlantic, but you've got these hills uh, up there. It was just starting to get dark, and we were drinking and eating and having a good time. And one of the guys was reading a paper uh, while he was sitting drinking, and he said, oh, there's a total eclipse of the moon on such and such a day, as you did in the early 80s. Everyone looked at their watch to see what the date was. Oh, that's today. And <laughs> 20 minutes later, we had the full moon over the Atlantic uh, in front of us, the perfect vision, and suddenly we started getting the full moon, the eclipse of the full moon. It was totally magic evening, and I thought, well, that's a brilliant introduction to hashing. I, I rather like this. When I got back to Britain, I couldn't find hash. I didn't know. It was before computer, the internet. I didn't know where to go. Then one day, I saw them running past my, uh, my house and <laughs> found where they finished up. Went up and asked for details, never got any any more information from them. Then about a year later, uh, I was with my second wife at the time, we were at a dinner party, and the guy talking to me, so we were talking about sport, and he said, oh, yeah, I'm a member of the Hash House Harriers, and oh, oh, I've been trying to get on to them. He said, yes, we've got a run tomorrow in such and such a place. Can't remember the exact date, whether it was 1983 or 1984. The first person I see when I get there is a friend of mine from Round Table, a guy I'd known for uh, years. He was there doing his first run as well. And ah. the whole concept of it and the, the humour was so similar to Round Table, so, uh, which was very keen on drinking and uh, just humour and drinking were the two important factors with Round Table, as they were with ha hashing. So I, I got totally hooked and very soon had then uh, started going to other hashes, mostly London, to a lesser extent, Surrey hash. And it went from there. It, it was that first night in the Algarve, although everyone puts me down as old Coulson as being my mother hash, I still consider Armantillaria as my mother hash. Say that name slowly. What was the name of the first hash club? 
uh, Armansell area, uh, hash okay. house areas. Okay. At the time, it was one or two hashes in Portugal. I believe there's three or four there now, but uh-huh. uh, the Elgarve is down in the southern part of Portugal. Which is the hash people say that is your home hash, they mistakenly say? Uh, Old Coulston, which is in Surrey, is south of London. I've done about 450 runs with them, so I've done about 12 runs with the Armansell area. So Old Coulston were my basic, my main hash for many years. There were so many different uh, hashes uh, coming up with, shall we say, stri- borderline names. She decided she wanted to form the uh, Wank Hash and uh, couldn't think of uh, what could uh, make the initials Wank. NK, which seemed quite, as we're on the Kent Surrey borders, North Kent, end oh. of this. The first town in, into Kent from where we uh, were was Westrum. I said, oh, that's easy. It's Westrum and North Kent. And so we decided <laughs> to form that. Then I finished up having to organise the T-shirts, lay the trail, do the run, and uh, Angie was uh, supporting. But on Angie's suggestion, I formed the Wankash. So, uh, I haven't run with them for a few years, which is beside the point. But what, when, did, when, did, when did the Wankash get founded then about? In 93, uh, I think. <laughs> the, yeah. the first few hashes, we, we had anything from two to about 20 people turning up. So yeah. it wasn't very popular. I had a big weekend. Hash. Yeah, well, the irreverent humor, it's fun when that gets into hashing names. What about your hash name? Where did you get your hash name? Well, again, it was at Old Calls, and I'd left my second wife and had moved in and was living with another girl who started hashing with me, and she came along. So the RA in this at Old Calls, and then said, Oh, right, the next down down is a famous local trigamist. And everyone's looking around. No one had a clue what he's talking about. <laughs> and eventually he called me out to the centre Then had to explain that, uh, that I was living with uh, Harriet, having just left my second wife. And so effectively I had my first and uh, third wife with me. So uh, that's how I got <laughs> And it's up, luckily. <laughs> Has the, did the third woman stick? No, unfortunately. Uh, it was too soon after leaving my second wife so I, I was missing the second wife as well as enjoying myself with the third and uh, with the third girl <laughs> and it, it got too much for her in the end and she called it a, a day fairly early on but but the name stuck <laughs> yeah there's no quadrumist in your future or renaming um, uh, I was renamed by old Corsa at one point to Trigamus Squared. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't think I could quite go to nine. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I put it in the magazine as well, and it's, I've been renamed Trigamus Squared, but I've never acknowledged that one. <laughs> I don't think I could live up to that. <laughs> <laughs> it's a story I experienced myself sometimes in the early days. You find hashing, you love it, and you say, where is it? I've met people who love the hash and say, oh, my God, I could have found it years ago. When did you start hashing beyond the local club? Once you found the local hash, when did you start traveling uh, and doing other events? The first uh, one I went to was, must have been 96 to Eurohash in Madrid. I had wanted to go to the Interhash down in Rotorua in 94. Lost a job and a loss of income, and uh, my partner, who was uh, at that time, who was also wanting to go there, then had problems with her husband, and and he wouldn't pay for her to go. So, and so we decided to duck out of that one. <laughs> 
So you went to Madrid. What did you think of that larger size event? I loved it. Um, it. That was brilliant. We also had the week after Madrid, Armand Solaria were having their celebration. I can't remember uh, whether it's the 100th run or they, they were having some uh, birthday high number celebration as well. So I went down there uh, to lay a trail for the traveling hashes coming down from Madrid. We're supposed to arrive at seven o'clock mm-hmm. and so I had a trail there. One other from Armand Solaria turned up to do the trail. We were waiting around in the bar. And the bus finally turned up about half past nine, by which time we were pretty drunk and they were as well because they had quite a bit of alcohol on the bus. So we never did that run, but I'd laid a trail for for them to run. So the following day on the Armistil official run, I got a severe session of down-downs for the disaster of the previous night. That was fine. And I travelled down because the following Tuesday after that weekend, the travelling hashes in the coach, I went down to Gibraltar and ran inside the tunnel at uh, Rock of Gibraltar, oh, cool. uh, which is a memorable right, run, the, the tunnel run. But, I was say, when you started in the 80s, how often were you hashing? Once a week? How, how frequently? Yes. Old Coulson used to uh, run every other Sunday, but in, in summer months, they also did every other Monday. Because there were quite a few of us uh, that were keen on uh, on taking part, we managed to get the, uh, them to do the every every other Monday uh, all year round. So they mm-hmm. got up to doing uh, one run a week, and mm-hmm. at that time I was doing one. And quite often I might go up to London, uh, depending on uh, where I was working at the time. Perhaps go along to Surrey Ash. Oh, another hash I wanted to ask you about was Westcombe Park. I joined them in about ninety. 90- Three, I think it was. Their first run is, was in 1971, uh, which makes them by far the oldest in Great Britain. Mm-hmm. Uh, but keep very, very quiet. Uh, their first run in 1971, a guy called Mike Reed had returned from Indonesia, and I think he'd been in Lagos as well, decided to set up this hash and advertise it locally to all the sports clubs for this run in Westcombe Park, which is next door to Dulwich in South East London. The rugby club decided, oh, this sounds fun. A fun. It was labelled as a fun run. So the rugby club, in their infinite wisdom, thought a fun run, that means fancy dress. About 30 from the rugby club turned up in in full fancy dress and about 10 or 15 other more serious runners turned up in running gear. Then they went out for a run and the rugby club members kept uh, kept the hash going over the years. Mike Reed unfortunately died during the uh, early 80s, I believe. And his sons, mm. who were also hashing with us at the time, then went uh, to different parts of the country and uh, basically dropped out of hashing. Grandmaster at present was on the first run as our hash cash was also on the first run. And to keep the memory of fancy dress uh, hash, everyone must wear a hat on the run. It's different from most other hashes in a lot of ways. Like a lot of European hashes, after the run, you go back to someone's house. We'd normally shout and change, and then we have a meal. Just before the meal, we'd have the circle. Uh, we'd also have a barrel of beer there as well. But the hash would start at 10 o'clock in the morning, passing a bottle of brandy around. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we'd have a halfway sip, which, which would be equally alcoholic. In the circle, it wouldn't be having down-downs as uh, most other hashes. Do. A bowl was passed around and you got fined. All the other hashes would so shout out reasons to the, uh, the master. Exactly what you had done wrong might be hat off. You have to have your membership card with you at all times. Yes, I've got mine with me. And... Um, <laughs> 
uh, you can be challenged anytime, anywhere in the world for a show card. If you haven't got it, uh, the person who's challenged you, you've got to buy him a beer. Have got it, um, he buys you a beer. We yeah. get uh, fined, and it's normally one pound if you've been pretty good, and up to about three pound if not. And it all helps to go supposedly for the annual dinner. But since I've been uh, in the hash, I think we've only had three or maybe four annual dinners, mm-hmm. and that's. Uh, 27 years so uh, <laughs> this year we're definitely going to have one as this is our 50th anniversary and at the moment we're just trying to sort out a celebration run <laughs> unfortunately having something for December we're not going to be able to put it on uh, that close to Christmas so we're just trying to sort out when our 50th anniversary run is going to be but I'm hoping it's going to be in November yeah. so. make sure the circle is clear to everyone you're around the circle passing the pot to collect fines. Is there singing yeah. and are people are holding a drink, but just not doing down downs? Uh, we are holding our drink and, and drinking is uh, theirs. And we all have our hash mug. After 10 rounds, you're entitled to the hash mug. And of course, uh, be, being uh, the adults we are, everyone's trying to steal each other's uh, mug <laughs> and hiding them. So uh, they get fined for losing their mug. And all these adult games <laughs> yeah. go on the trail. If there's an arrow, you have to go in the direction of the arrow, which normally means into a, a stinking muddy pond and that you have to cross through the middle of the pond or mm-hmm. uh, go under a bridge or something like that. And mud fights and water fights are regular occurrences. We're, we're very adult. <laughs> yeah. So in addition to the usual collection of hash T-shirts and sometimes red dresses, do you have a collection of hats just for Westcombe Park? No, uh, well, we're supposed to have a different one each time. So I- I've got a, a bag with about 20 odd different ha- uh, hats. But um, <laughs> in the old days, there was uh, a lot of jumble sales and everything like that. So at mm-hmm. the end of the jumble sale, people, uh, you would have garage sales uh, over, over there. But So there's always clothing left. And you could go into a jumble sale and pick up half a dozen hats for about 50p. Unfortunately, you can't do that nowadays. So we don't have the outlandish hats that we used to have. Generally, these are ladies' hats? They used to be, but not now, because we can't get them. Uh-huh. Uh, can't get them, and the wives would never let us wear any of theirs, because <laughs> uh, they'll finish up muddy. They'll finish up having gone through water and got been hit a few times by lumps of uh, liquid mud coming flying through the air. So, yeah. uh, as I said, we're very adult. <laughs> yeah, that's great. That, yeah, that's a great tradition. That's pretty unique. Westcombe Park is the only hash in Britain uh, which is totally male only. Um, ah. The last time we let women uh, on the trail was about 1994. <laughs> it was terrible. It was terrible. They won all the mud fights. They t- totally smothered us in mud, despite the fact we were trying to smother them with mud. But you know, it, it was a d- disaster. We lost that one so badly that we've never let the women back in. <laughs> yeah, they blew their chance. They need to play it play it easy. Yeah, well, they're lost. Uh, not to mention the fact they're all 25 years older now, so uh, there's not much chance. But they're, they're up in their 60s that they're going to go out chucking mud at the men. <laughs> <laughs> what world hander hashes did you make it then after you failed to get to um, Red The Red. first internet I went to was uh, Cyprus. Back in about 1990, I joined up with the the first UK full moon hash. I think the first run I did with them was their first anniversary run. So having done my first run on the night of an eclipse of a full moon, Hmm. when I found out there was a full moon hash, I was very keen to uh, get involved with them. I've done something like about 110 runs with the full moon hash as well. So you went to Cyprus.
Cypress and 96 Interhash. What did you think of that? Is it slightly bigger than Eurohash? I loved it. Uh, there were so many people I knew because uh, we had a big contingent from the UK through the 90s and before. We used to have a lot of uh, weekend hash parties uh, celebrating an anniversary or a large number. Almost every weekend there'd be a party for 100 odd hashes. During the 90s, in the summer, I'd go to eight or 10 of those. So I knew a lot of the UK hashes. And when I went there, I immediately got to know a lot of the European hashes as well. You see them sometimes when they came over and uh, come to the UK Nash hash or something like that. But no, it was brilliant. I loved every minute of it. And uh, apart from the heat, uh, it was a bit uh, hot. But uh, That was the hottest uh, weekend in Cyprus that year, I think it was, yeah. I think it was. Apparently, according to the government figures in the government of Cyprus, it accounted for 10% of our gross national in- income for the year. It was directly attributed to the hash. That's neat. So Urine, I think, told me that. That was something that was used in one or two of the interhash bids to their own countries to get the government involvement, which sure. is why Tasmania got so heavily involved. Uh, because of how much it was going to bring uh, income into the, the small state of Tasmania. And Tasmania was recovering from a horror event of a shooting, and their tourism was way down. Yeah, That was another brilliant event, but unfortunately my girlfriend wasn't very keen on hashing, so we went to the event but didn't get involved with any of the uh, other uh, things like the Red Dress Run or anything like that. So it was interesting because we were on a small island uh, of Tasmania, Bruni Island, where one of the hash sites. We've been talking, we were staying in an accommodation at a bar and there's only two bars on the island. And we're telling them about the hash and the next morning after the Red Dress Run, every radio station in Australia apparently was talking about the Hash House Harriers Red Dress Run and mm. why people were dressing up in Red dresses and running around the streets of Hobart and we kept getting this and uh, knocking on the doors uh, the landlord from, from yeah you come in you've got to come into the bar listen to this and he went through all their radio stations and every one of them was asking <laughs> uh, was talking about the red dress run and my girlfriend at that point was quite proud of the fact she was involved with it yeah uh, but no it, it was wonderful that the reception it got in all of Hobart and a lot of the rest of Australia also got to support hashing from what I understand yeah that was a great event and you continued to hash UK Nash hashes Euro hashes and inner hashes since then as I got older, I dropped out because uh, UK Nash Hash was uh, camping and a bit samey and I was getting a bit too old for like, sleeping in, in solid ground in tents. Uh, I probably haven't been to a Nash Hash for about 15 years or, or so now, so well, probably more than that. Uh, Euro Hash, which included accommodation uh, as, as does Interhash. Well, you're not going to be camping at least, put it that way. And yeah. a lot of European Nash Hashes, I've been to quite a few of those as well. Oh, okay. If you had to guess, ballpark. How many hashes do you think you've been on in 37 years or so? 2,000, 3,000, something like that. Yeah, cool. Yeah, that sounds kind of impressive. That's across how many decades? 80, 90, 0, 1, 2. We're into the fifth decade of hashing in 37 years. Have you seen significant changes apart from some of us not wanting to sleep on the ground, getting older, maybe slower? Have you seen any other changes in the hash? 
apart from uh, for years, it had been getting older and older. So there was less and less running. And uh, even the alcohol consumption has diminished considerably as we got older. But it, I'm pleased to see a lot of the hashes now are getting a lot younger average age in, in them. There's, there seems to be a new generation getting involved in the hashing. Uh, a lot of us were wor- uh, worried about for a long time whether we were dying an or- a dying organisation or not. But no, I, th- I think even in England, there's you go to City Hash where they're nearly all to, around about 30. And so there's a few of older ones there, but uh, the majority around about 30. And I think uh, that's a good thing. What, they have 50 odd people and uh, 30 plus of them are around about 30. It's not an organisation that's going to die. Uh, thank God for that. Have you gone to any other exotic places? Have you been to other continents? Yes, my daughter lives in Japan, and so I introduced her to the Japanese hashes. But since she got married and had a baby, she, uh, she doesn't go hashing very often, if at all. There normally only if I go. But I've run with several hashes in Japan, and every year before COVID, I would spend three or four weeks in Japan, and then another four or five weeks around the Far East. I've been hashing in, I think, all the Far Eastern countries now. So I regularly go to uh, Vietnam, Thailand, Laos, oh. extent to Cambodia, but Philippines are cut them two or three times as well. So not to mention Malaysia, Sabah, uh, Sarawak, all those. <laughs> wow, uh, nice. <laughs> I tend to do as many uh, foreign hashes a year, and then I do at home in, in the UK. So, yeah. Does your daughter have a hash name? Japanese tits. <laughs> she first started hashing with me when she was thirteen. Had a Pink Floyd T-shirt she always wore, and that's my name's Peter Lloyd. And Floyd, she was given the uh, hash name of Pink Floyd, and took up drinking uh, pints of beer very early in her life. So, not to, <laughs> nothing to do with me, Governor. When she was at university, she was traveling around. And then after university, she moved to Japan to uh, teach. I believe she was in Taiwan uh, in one of the circles. They said, sing us a song or show us your tits. And she didn't want to sing a song and she didn't didn't want to show us a tits. So immediately someone said, it's all right, she's only got Japanese tits. And (laughs) suddenly they they decided what a good name for her. So uh, in Taiwan, she was named Japanese tits. Didn't like it at all. I went over to with her. We went to a Japanese nashash that year. I brought it up in a circle at Japanese nashash that uh, she'd been renamed uh, Japanese tits and she doesn't want to be renamed. And I think the hash should decide and it was unanimous. That's <laughs> great. <laughs> Uh, that's a good naming story, too. That's great. Okay, so we've yeah. covered Asia, Europe, Pacific, South Pacific. Have you made it to Africa or the United States? No, unfortunately, I haven't, but uh, okay. I, I intend to sometime or other. I've been to New York, Los Angeles, around the Los Angeles area, several of the hashes there. I've traveled down through Central America, but apart from Costa Rica, I can't think that I hashed in any of the others, but I'll get over there one of these days. Yeah. <laughs> you after Trinidad, but... So the UK has some special events. Did you ever get to a Friday the 13th? Uh, Yes. In a couple of weeks' time, they've got their 50th run. I I do a lot of volunteering work uh, over here. And at the moment, I'm supposed to be volunteering doing some uh, work at a vaccination centre that same weekend. And as they still do an an awful lot of alcohol drinking, and I've been having some medical problems. And one of the things I've been told is cut down on the drinking. So Mm. probably won't go to that. But I've done probably about 20 of them over the years. Wow. And mostly in the early days. 
Any memorable moments pop up from a Friday the 13th? <laughs> Mostly when Robocop was running it. Uh, if he wanted to demonstrate something, uh, I was off one of his regular victims. Uh, ah. On the Jack the Ripper run, I, I think I got covered in uh, blood and liver and sausages and stuff like that. Quite seriously. And so much so that uh, when we we had a pub stop on the way round and I wasn't allowed into the pub because there was all the blood on me. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Uh, how about white powder events? Have you guys run into problems with the police or officials or anthrax scares that people have? Robocop. <laughs> God bless his cotton socks. Uh, this is quite a few years ago uh, when he was still a policeman in London. He laid a, a trail around uh, Westminster uh, using flour. Part of it is plasterboard chalk marks on the pavement. Some of it is flour. So we got back to the pub, but we couldn't go back to the pub because that whole area had been sc uh, screened off and the police right. everywhere and suspicious substance on the ground. <laughs> I don't know what what trouble Robocop got into it, but between the, the flower on the ground and uh, he also had his bike padlocked to the railings outside the pub. That was suspicious as well to them. So uh, <laughs> we had a hard time until he got back from the run uh, and had to explain <laughs> to, uh, that nothing was a problem. But I've laid a trail in parks uh, before now where using flower, people have been saying, well, some dogs have been poisoned around here. Mm. You put him... Uh, right. or something else. Right. I'll show them a bag of flour, but then when we got back to do the run, all, all the flour had been kicked away. So that still goes on. Uh, we had problems, but not as badly as we used to. Mm -hmm. uh, they even had a bit on the television one day uh, about, I think it was in the Isle of Wight or somewhere down the southwest of England, about uh, what, what was all this white powder on the ground. <laughs> uh, finally, the hash owned up to the TV station, so, and so we got a bit of publicity from that. And I, I was on BBC television for the London area uh, with Ride demonstrating. They were wanting to know about smaller hash events, uh, sorry, smaller sporting events mm. that people could go and join. They did 10, 15 minutes a bit on the BBC Two, which is one of the quieter television stations, about hashing. To Ryder and myself were demonstrating the markings, and they followed us around on a hash trail that we put on for them. So that was about 99 or 98, 1998 or so. Is that recording available? I don't know. I suppose it probably could be because uh, BBC don't tend to throw away stuff. But. Mm. Ride would probably know more so because <laughs> she's involved with everything. So if you if you want something done, or uh, Ride doesn't normally come and uh, be the front face, but she does all all the uh, the heavy work uh, for uh, so many hashes and hash events. Yeah. As you know from Cardiff, uh, did so much of the work of Cardiff into hash, and uh, when we put your hash on in London again, she did the vast majority of the work. Yeah. And, uh, Who are some of the other hashers? Not necessarily just great organizers and behind the scene workers but who are some of the other characters of hashing that have been memorable to you over the years i've been trying to th think about that and the first one comes to mind was the late great wolf i went on a german nash hash that he uh, organized uh, it was in his own hometown about an hour drive north from frankfurt and on the sunday uh, morning run it'd been a, a, a good uh, weekend and a lot of food a lot of drink we finished up having a drink stop in the, the town Square, which had all these very old buildings with tiny little windows and in a, almost a semicircle with a big 
wall is stepped up by this wall. The town mayor lived in one of these houses, so he opened the, uh, his bedroom window and was leaning out and, and talking to the wolf and wishing us all well. It must have been organised uh, because we got some Americans to start singing, and then they started doing singing in the rain. There wasn't a cloud in the sky. <laughs> hot. It's singing in the rain, and all of a sudden, it starts raining. <laughs> Uh, Wolf, with his involvement in the town, had got the town fire brigade on the other side of the, the wall uh, with the hoses going on a fine spray, spraying over the top of the, uh, the wall uh, onto all the hashes on the other side. That's fantastic. The Wolf was so good at uh, getting the little things that made events go so much better. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. Always remember him. I helped him out on one of his run, uh, the Danube trips that he did. But, yeah. Uh, only for the fact that he didn't know anyone from Budapest Hash that uh, could get anything organised. So although I was living in England, I, I became the liaison with Budapest Hash. Wow. Yeah. So anyway, it worked. <laughs> nice. Uh, anybody else? I mean, well, yeah, Wolf's a classic. He's a great guy. Everybody met him. Is impressed. He's a unique guy. Anybody else come to mind? I'll always remember Kung Fu. He's a Chinese Australian and he got an accent that it took days and days of being with him that before you really started to understand what the hell he was saying. <laughs> He'd always have pink or orange uh, colored to his hair. And unfortunately, he's another one that died not too long after the wolf. There were two people I'm proud to say were friends and that I certainly miss. The main person I always have already mentioned is Ride because she's so hardworking and always just keeps low profile, doesn't want to any of the praise uh, for it. So I wonder how well a lot of hashes would have survived around the London area and her involvement with Eurohash and such and into hash. She's been one of the hardest working, finest examples of a hasher that you can never come across. Yeah, it's great when we have competent people that can do amazing things in organizing and understand hashing. Like you say, it's very childish, but it requires some amazing talent to pull off these big events that so many of us can just attend and enjoy. The hashers don't want to see any organisation behind it. And if it's organised well, you don't see it. I've been to a lot of events which have been disasters, and I've been to a lot of events that have been brilliant. Uh, everyone enjoys uh, when something goes wrong. Uh, <laughs> it's something to laugh about. And, and if you have to improvise a bit, so be it. Oh, um, just reminded me of someone else. Um, no, that shit is a key, isn't it? We were in the Penang Harriet's thousandth run or something like that. Mm-hmm. And um, we were doing the red dress run uh, the old part of uh, Georgetown. Is, is, is it Nurse Ratchet? I think it is. So, it suddenly turns up, skin tight, a pink uh, dress on, uh, high heels, and sees a, a cycle rickshaw alongside. So finishes up getting the cycle rickshaw driver to sit in the back, and he's cycling around, uh, around the course. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, it's uh, full of so, moments. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of moments like that when he's around. <laughs> well, it's good. Well, has anything come to mind for events? You've been behind the scenes where things have gone wrong and you've managed to either deal with them or they're good memories now. There have been quite a few, but I can't remember them at the moment. <laughs> All right. It revolves around transport not turning up or something like that. There's a lot that can go wrong that most people never see. Oh, right? 
Uh, one of the things that did go right, uh, I'm pleased to say, that I always remember with a laugh, was at the Cardiff Interhash. I was laying one of the trails on the name of Weston Park. Because it's a short trail, we were one of the last going out. It was four 50-seat uh, coaches going out to each run. But we were one of the last going out, and there was another hash that only had one coach going out. They mm. decided belatedly to put this this extra coach onto our trail. So we were up in the Brecon Beacons. Instead of having 200 there, we had 250, wow. near enough. We only went a little bit up the hill into the beacons and cut across and into the uh, headwaters of uh, the River Taff, uh, the Welsh are often known as Taffies, because uh, they're named after the River Taff. Then started following this uh, very small stream down, and it came to the main road, uh, which is higher, and there were two about eight-foot diameter steel culverts going underneath the road, each with about four or five inches of water going through there. Mm. And a lot of people didn't want to get their feet wet. The, the local police force had sent a police car up there to make sure that we got across the road for, out from the coaches to where we were starting the run safely. And this policeman came down to where we were going through the, uh, this tunnel. And as people tried to climb up the bank to the road to cross, he said, no, no, it's not safe. You, you've got to go down. <laughs> and he wouldn't let anyone <laughs> climb up. He made sure everyone got their feet wet. <laughs> oh, that's great. So, it's little things like that that really make it more memorable for people, I think. Yeah, I'm sure nobody regrets doing it now, yeah. Oh, no, I'm sure they don't. At the end of that, we're suddenly having the circle, and uh, being the chief here, that meant I was in charge of a circle, which I've, I've done 20 or 30 people in circles quite successfully, even mm. up to 50. But 250, I'm looking around, and think, shit, I only, apart from the four hairs, I only knew about three other people. Luckily, <laughs> one of them was an MTM. And I'm, I'm thinking, what the fuck do I do now? And MTM then comes over and says, oh, there's Sister Michael over there. Brilliant singer. He'll help you out. Anytime you need a bit of help, just call on him. And uh, it worked. <laughs> he finished up one of the best circles I've ever done in my life. And thanks to <laughs> MTM and Sister Michael. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, it was brilliant because he, he didn't tend to try and take over the circle as happens quite in a lot of cases. But we'd come out with a song and then that would lead on to getting a bit more humour into the next down downs. And it, as I said, it finished up one of the best circles I've ever run. Thanks to MTM. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sister Michael's great to work with. It's interesting to talk about that because, yeah, there are lots of people who run circles and just a handful of people who have done the 200, 300 plus size. And it's a different experience. And it takes a different approach. Good for you. Yes. <laughs> I, I was shitting myself at the start. <laughs> <laughs> Well, what about when you set trails? Over the years, you've passed in lots of different terrain, lots of different groups and sizes. What's your general philosophy or approach to setting trails then? I try to, depending on who's going to be there, if there's going to be fast runners, I try and make the checks difficult. And that quite often backfires with me because at old course when we used to have quite a few uh, club athletes come. So mm. I set a trail and make it difficult for that because they were there then they wouldn't turn up and then I thought oh hell and then I'm having to try and help the slower runners through but what I do like to do if I can because most of the trails I do are, are in the countryside I try to put a figure eight into the, the route it causes complete confusion amongst the more experienced hashers who think they know where they are and which direction you're going to go in and suddenly they're going in totally the wrong direction as far as they're concerned and mm. concerned up. 
So I love doing that <laughs> and the effect it causes. I've laid trails in about 20 different countries, so wow. more than that. So, no, I, I enjoy doing it and try and find some specific item on it uh, that they will remember, whether it's a water crossing or some special bit of scenery. If I can get uh, something like that into it, then I, I'm a lot happier, mm-hmm. which uh, luckily... I've laid quite a few of the Mekong, the Thinking Drinking Hashes. I've laid several of their trails, and uh, we can normally find something special on on the trails that that people remember. Let's talk about Thinking Drinking, because that's kind of a special club. What about, what are the Thinking Drinking trails? Which when she was doing it, uh, and then Malini has since. They would contact some locals to find out a good area uh, to lay the trails in. Uh, when I've been involved, it, it meant that uh, we'd go out quite often a few months beforehand. Uh, otherwise, it might only be a, uh, a week or two weeks beforehand to to recce the area where it, the suggestion is um, to sort out where they're going to have the food and everything like that. Although there'll be a, a local helping us and making suggestions. Myself and uh, Barry Mees uh, also from Bangkok have laid four or five of their trails uh, by going out beforehand and then then finalizing it and, uh, because you, you tend to find the suggested are just straightforward uh, paths that, that would be okay for a hiking trail but not much good for hash we would convert them into hashes hopefully make the checks difficult enough that the front runners uh, take a bit of time to find it to explain it to people thinking drinking hash is a special event hash it's not a, re- a club that meets in a location uh, no, I think it's about 70 or 71. And the first one I did was in 96 in Cyprus. And that was about their 30th run at, at that time. So it's before inner hashes, before Panasia's, before big events. Uh, yeah, it's basically it's a hash, uh, Panasia and the Mekong Indochina hash. They do mostly Mekong Indochina hashes, but some of the Panasia's and as many of the Interhashes as they can get to, but Wichene and uh, Malini and the rest of Bangkok uh, areas uh, fell out over Brussels because Malini and the other girls uh, thought that they were having some financial assistance on their uh, airfares, and, uh, which didn't happen. So they all finished up very much out of pocket on that, and Wichene dropped out at that point as well. So. Hmm. Uh, there's always the problem nowadays with their runs because it's a, an issue they've taken up before. They are tending to overcharge uh, now for what they're putting on. And uh, I can't defend the prices that they charge, but I know there's a lot of more work put into it than people realise. But mm-hmm. and what they do with their money, I don't know. But I know uh, <laughs> the, the girls involved aren't, aren't well off. <laughs> by any means, but and, and can't travel the world uh, uh, like which he, he could before them. But so I, I still support them when I can. But uh, last year and this year's uh, Mekong uh, being cancelled because of COVID, and mm-hmm. hopefully they'll get back going next year. Let's wait and see what happens. Sure. One of the other really amusing events that we still take the Mickey out. I won't actually name people individually apart from saying and the hearts hash boys uh, were involved in this it was a kl interhash when we we're in that uh, the stadium there Merdeka, and, uh, yeah yeah and all the late lady boys doing the dance routine uh, all the way through the proceedings <laughs> the hearts boys did not realize they were lady boys they thought they were genuine girls so they went backstage uh, to chat up some of these <laughs> girls <laughs> And caught them in the dressing room stage of their, yeah. It just 
just around the, by the dressing rooms and the, the lady boys all keen and all flirting with them. And shall we say the Hearts boys thought they were on to a winner there. And eventually <laughs> we, we got to them and told them <laughs> the reality of it. <laughs> and, uh, was it 23, 24 years later? We're still taking the piss out of them over it. <laughs> nice, nice. What about Hash Entertainment? You've been to a lot of big events. There's lots of skits. How, anything back from Hash, Inner Hash stages or big event stages bring back a memory? Um, I'll always remember Cardiff because I was uh, backstage involved in one of the skits. At the Millennium Stadium in Cardiff, uh, we've been told categorically absolutely no nudism, uh, no nakedness. Uh, we'll kick you out if there's any nakedness. Yep. And everyone was told, whatever happens, you can't be naked or else we lose the venue. Then the Friday night, the security at the end of the Friday night uh, said to ride and uh, a few others. I thought you were uh, like a rugby club. There would be a a lot of topless girls around and a lot of nakedness and but you said we can't have nakedness. Oh, no, don't, don't listen to that. You, we, we were looking forward to it. And so there was no preparation. So on the Saturday night, several of the acts are going on stage and we're using body paint. So uh, the girls were back, backstage having all this body paint put on the, uh, to the naked parts. And I was enjoying changing very slowly and uh, enjoying the view, as you do. And <laughs> in the end, I asked, what flavour is the paint? <laughs> Unfortunately, I haven't got a clue what I was talking about. <laughs> <laughs> they ended up having a nude run right inside Millennium Stadium there at midnight. Yeah. Yes, I was, I was one of the ones doing that as well. <laughs> because we had a lot of, as I said, individual hashes putting on a weekend hash where 100 or so go there. So many of them we had at midnight and we'd have a nude run sometimes out onto the road, but normally just around the field. There was enough members of the nude hash down in Card. We were running around the arena. <laughs> a lot of us are not in as good a shape as we should have been for <laughs> some of the women as well, so uh, it didn't feel so bad. That was a great event, um, and being close to home, we enjoyed it. And uh, I was involved to a very minor degree of getting the, the hash train done, because I was on the Committee of London Hash at the time, and we put on the the hash train down there so oh that's one of the things that went wrong overnight the night before the hash train was going to go from Paddington British Rail told us that it's not going from Paddington anymore it's going from Euston uh, so at a matter of about 12 hours notice we tried to communicate and tell everyone that was booked to go on it that there was change of station as far as we know no one actually missed the train we had people parked out at the original station and we were phoning around like mad and sending out emails wherever possible but it worked in the end yeah. <laughs> one of the many things that could go wrong that was it British Rail buggering us up <laughs> yeah no that's a good collection of stories is the RA always right uh, of course of course <laughs> except when he's wrong <laughs> I want to thank Trigamus for coming on the podcast today from the UK this is the on on podcast Hasher stories Hasher voices Hasher history New episodes every week. Until next time, on on, this is Ra. To close the circle, here's the Hash Anthem sung by Mother Hash. Sweet.